made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage a better place for autistic An people. Aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant. Welcome to A Different Brilliant. I'm your host, Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. My purpose is to inspire, inform, and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. Open, open, open. open honest, and engaging conversations on autism. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. To learn more, catch up on the episodes, or send us a message. Like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. Now, on this episode, we are exploring the topic of ADHD and autism. My guest is Nicole Matheson, Aspect's clinical neuropsychologist. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's really lovely to meet you. It's lovely to meet you too. Now, when I first saw what you do, I kind of went, huh? Mm. So I'd love, could you please share Mm. with us what it is you do as a neuropsychologist at Aspect? Absolutely. So a neuropsychologist is a specialization within the field of psychology. That's really about kind of understanding the relationship between the brain and behavior. So we look at kind of the cognitive, emotional and behavioral effects of the brain. And we have a focus on the assessment, the diagnosis and the treatment planning of conditions of the brain. So basically that's what I do at Aspect is working as part of that assessment team. So looking at that assessment and and diagnosis side of of autism in particular, but then some co-occurring conditions as well. I have seven follow-up questions from that one (laughs) little thing that I I can't say. This is so hard doing kind of these these kind of podcasts. That's fascinating. I'm not. I'm not joking when I say I'm just fascinated by that. Take these as comments, not questions. Okay, Nicole, like it's Q and like, like it's Q and A. I've just a couple of things that came to mind. You know what? I find yeah. this so fascinating because some people still don't realise that autism mm. is a different brain, right? There isn't a look. I mean, Absolutely, it's just the brain. It, but for the brain, you know, you are or aren't autistic. And then I think, okay, so mm. you know, you're a neuropsychologist. You know, all the gut issues mm. we seem to have is that, you know, I mean, gut issues are created through the brain, I'm assuming. And with a different brain, you have different issues. So this is when brain starts to go nuts, Nicole. So I'm, I'm going to move on. But I tell you, <laughs> you must have your work cut out for you because bottom line is you're dealing with, not only do we not really know much about the brain in, in science in general, but you're dealing with mm. a, an entirely different brain we don't know much about in science. So it's just, Absolutely. Oh, man. From my point of view, I reckon you've picked a pretty cool job. That's That would be my thought. <laughs> I love it. Uh, There's a reason I went into this and I absolutely love it. And even more so working with the autistic community has been absolutely amazing. And I think learning so much from them and learning so much from all the people that come in and see us and the ways that the brain does work differently has just been both eye-opening and also just an amazing way to to learn and kind of move forward, both within my professional understanding, but also just personally as well. Well, if you need my brain when I die, you can have it if you'd like. There won't be much to study though. All right, let's get down to business. So for those Mm. listening, let's just break this down from a simple point of view before we move on further. What does the acronym ADHD mean? I guess, you know, and then what is it? And and how does it Mm. present when we're talking about people 
who are autistic and have, may have this as a comorbidity? Absolutely. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Now, in and of itself, it's actually a little bit of a misleading term at times because it implies that there is a complete deficit or there is complete deficit in terms of attention, that it's not there. Whereas really what it is, is more of an attentional regulation difficulty. So that difficulty in terms of being able to properly shift attention or maintain attention on different areas. And then it also includes that idea of hyperactivity. So often what we see in terms of hyperactivity is someone who moves around a lot, but it might also attend to racing thoughts in hyperactivity as well. And then impulsivity. So that need to do things straight away and as they're there. So all of those are what we kind of consider as that, that kind of mainstream and underlying of, of ADHD. You know what, Nicole? Sorry, I'm dropping another bomb here on you. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. This is one of those things where I think, you know what, Nicole? You mentioned all those things. Well, that just sounds like my experience as an autistic person. So why am I getting a diagnosis of a comorbidity that sounds like that's what I experience anyway? And then I think, well, hang on, it's a chicken and the egg. Like, which, which Does that mean that I have ADHD and I'm autistic or does that mean that being mm. autistic, do you see what I mean? Like, for example, as an autistic Absolutely. person, my mind is its just constantly over-revving, right? My body can't keep up mm. with my over-revving. It's like my seven-year-old trying to drive a Ferrari, basically. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just like you say, impulse control issues. You know, don't send me to the mm. shops for milk and bread. I'm going to get stuff <laughs> yeah. you didn't want me to get. And the same with the hyperactivity yeah. stuff, the pacing, the moving, and talking mm. fastly. So yeah. <laughs> it's astounding and just so fascinating presentation. Okay, so you've got a standard... Yeah neurotypical non-autistic person that's cool mm-hmm. but but autistic kids autistic people yeah. it, does it present differently it can do so i think it gets onto that idea of those what are the differences there and between adhd and, and autism and i think when you look at it on a surface level there are so many similarities we see a lot of differences in terms of social interactions in people with adhd and then we see those impulsivity and we see those differences in terms of people with autism that we consider for each of them however i think what you tend to find is once you look a little bit deeper into each of these things so kind of getting a bit more of an understanding of what's behind these behaviours, what is the quality of those behaviours, that's when we start to see the differences between autism and ADHD. But as you said, I mean, as we go through things, there are a lot of people that do fit that mould of being both autistic and also having ADHD. This is where it becomes really confusing, not only for Mm. healthcare professionals and, you know, Mm. the diagnostic world, but also parents, carers, family members, the autistic people. Mm. The difference and the similarities between ADHD mm-hmm. and autism, as you say. How do you even start when you try to explain this to people when they go, well, hang on, which one is it? Yeah, it can be very difficult. And it is one of those things that comes up really quite commonly in our area of work, what we would consider what we call a differential diagnosis. So choosing between two things going, there's a lot of things here. Are we seeing autism? Are we seeing ADHD? Or are we seeing a combination of them both? And that's a that's a question we often ask ourselves. Now I said, what we kind of look at is a, is a few different things there. So we're looking at at really that understanding and then the quality of things. And we would kind of explain that depending on the individual, because we know that each individual is very unique in how they might present. So if we look at that surface level of, say, some of those similarities between 
autism and ADHD, we might see that there are those some differences in the way that people socially interact. Eye contact might be a good example of this, where we find that people with autism might tend to find eye contact something that they find a bit more difficult, they don't necessarily want to do, and they, they don't tend to do it to initiate as well as then kind of maintain. Whereas we find with people with ADHD, they would be what we consider more fleeting eye contact, looking up, looking back, using it for that initial thing, but then focusing on other things around the room. We also tend to find that in in social differences, for someone with ADHD, it's typically what we would consider a performance difficulty. So a person with ADHD or a child in particular with ADHD might understand and use, say, neurotypical social interactions, but just due to their hyperactivity and their impulsivity, they might not be able to kind of put into effect things there. Whereas we often tend to find that a person who is autistic may not necessarily understand in the same way as a neurotypical person or have a different way of understanding those social interactions. So we're looking at like kind of pulling it down more. The same kind of comes in when we're looking at things such as, I guess, a a really strong focus or a a wonderful intense interest. We know that that comes up very commonly in, in autistic people, that they will have a strong interest and they will love to talk about it and be engaged in that interest. And we do find that, as I said, with ADHD, it's not about not being able to attend to something. Often they can focus and attend on something they find really interesting, but they then won't necessarily bring up that focus of attention when it's not there directly in front of them. It's more about, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Whereas with an autistic individual, you will find more often they will still be really focused and and intensely interested in this, this thing that they want to talk about, even when it's not there in front of them. So we're looking more at that kind of quality of what's going on behind it. And one of the reasons for, I guess, why we look at this quality and why we is, is just so that we can ensure that any kind of adaptions that we might want to make in the environment around someone, particularly when it comes to school environments and things like that, are adapted in a way that is actually going to help the individual. And that's why everything you said is so more so much more sophisticated than everything I've just said. And that's why we're talking to you. Exactly, Because here I am, you know, shooting my mouth off. It's the same thing. Like, what's the difference? And you've just explained it in one of the ways. Like, for example, when I wake up in the morning, all I think about is creating content, right? And if, if you want to talk to me, if you don't ask me questions that are around my my, my passion, my, my interest, mm. I don't have much to talk to you about. And even if we were in a conversation talking about something else, it would probably come back mm. to something that I was – interested in right or you'd ask Absolutely. me a generic question about my name and then you get a 10 yeah. mi- then you'll get a 10 minute lecture <laughs> on the constellation orion and how it's the you know the birthplace in the nursery of baby stars and you don't yeah. need that you don't want that you just asked about my name it's like shut up orion what are you talking about <laughs> you know it's the it protects them from the wind of space and the void of space you know, orion i don't want to hear about the nebula <laughs> you know great example right there which i can relate to yeah. i am someone who Absolutely. doesn't put my passion out of sight, out of mind. That's not possible for yeah, me. I'm absolutely. Really, yeah. And that's and that's where it comes to, as I said, kind of ensuring that if we're working with someone to try and help the environment around them to help the others understand them, we need to know what that difference is. If it is a person who wants to talk about their interest at all times, you know, we need to know that that's what it is rather than I get focused on one thing while it's there in front of me because then it helps us understand them. I guess that the number of kids on the autism spectrum. Mm. Is there actually like a disproportionate number of children on the autism spectrum that are diagnosed with the comorbidity of ADHD? And if that's the case, why? Look, I think that's a a really tough question, or at least the second part of that question is really tough. I think with the first part, I can say absolutely that there are a disproportionate number of children on the autism spectrum who are diagnosed with ADHD. I believe the current research suggests that we're looking at 
between 50 to 70% of children with autism also getting diagnosed with ADHD. Now, it doesn't necessarily work in the same way backwards. So in terms of it doesn't mean 50 to 70% of people with a diagnosis of ADHD have that diagnosis of autism, but within the autistic community, there is a very high number of people who are also diagnosed with ADHD. And that is, I think the next question goes to why is that? And I think that's a, a really interesting question and a big one and one that I don't think I'm well equipped to be able to answer, to be honest with you. We don't necessarily know. You know, and a lot of these people I'm seeing are individuals, both children and adults who do meet the criteria for both. They do have the way that the brain's working and the interactions that fit that criteria, both for autism and both for for ADHD. I would love to know more about why that is, but I think it starts to get into the question of why there are some people with autism and and why not. And it, it kind of moves past the idea of we just know it is a different brain, a, a slightly different way of thinking around things. And I think that that kind of question leads into those same types of questions around it. So why is it, what, what are we seeing with that brain of a person with ADHD as well? And what is the reason for that, that high number of comorbidity or co-occurrence between them? But see, that's why the answer is actually a good answer. As in you feel bad because you can't give us the answer, but you've given us the answer and it's more valuable than the other answer because it's telling us, you know what, we still don't really know. And, and what that tells no. us too is as an autistic community, there's, there's mm. many things that we still don't understand. And, you know, Absolutely. What, and what that means is there's many things we still have to embrace and, and be included yeah. in and, and try, Absolutely. you know, like it, you mm. try things to see if they work or don't work, right? It's no different to anything yeah. else in life, dating, whatever, so sports, whatever it is. And I think this is another one of those things where I, I guess it, it comes down to, you don't really find out the why to some things ever, <laughs> but, no. you, but you at least know because of that better, more targeted ways of assisting autistic kids and also, you know, parents and carers and the disparate, you know what, what talk about a, a brain bender, how it's like the 50 mm. to 70% of autistic kids have it, but kids that get it doesn't mean that they're autistic. It's a, such a brain bender. It's like the chicken and the egg kind mm-hmm. of thing. I find that so fascinating, but it also, this is the other thing, right? If there, if there's lots of autistic adults being diagnosed there's just mm-hmm. a significant amount of autistic adults being diagnosed these days because of what, yeah. we, what we know now well that, but see mm-hmm. they're probably not even considering this but if you're an autistic child this is something that might pop up like for my son and it's really interesting mm-hmm. that you know you look at that percentage well those kids grow up to be adults right <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah 50 to 70 percent of this kind of lost yeah. generation of diagnosed adults don't even probably yeah. know this or realise this. And it just all gets put down to one thing. I guess the sheer complex nature of your work, of this kind of diagnostic area, it's, oh man, it blows my mind. The the, the comorbidities and, the, and the, the stuff that you you do, I don't know what to say. I don't. Absolutely. And we're obviously talking here about ADHD because it is such a big comorbidity, but then we do come into to contact with a whole lot of other ones. And I think what we tend to find as we start getting adults diagnosed with autism and coming in for that diagnosis as an adult, their concerns often come around more of some of the, the comorbidity with some of the mental health concerns that come up there because of that being a bit more important to them at the time. Whereas we're dealing with kids who are meant to be singing in classroom for yeah. a long period of time each day. And that's where those ADHD behaviours are something that can, I guess, impact them and impact the people around them a little bit. Let me drop 
one more thesis on you and move on. Okay, so you sure. know, this, is, this has just come to me now from what you just said. Okay, so I'm the kid, mm-hmm. the autistic kid in class. It's not, you know, just having some challenges with the sitting still and the concentrating. So we're basically talking about my son. And I've also been diagnosed then as a result of that with a comorbidity ADHD, okay? And, mm. you know, we're, we're trying all the different things that we can to help him, to encourage him, to enable him. Okay, but still that's a stress for him. And he's camouflaging yeah. and, and masking and also feeling, you know, as a, as a child a bit, left out, maybe a bit of a failure. And as he goes through life, that doesn't change. And then he becomes an adult and now he's really anxious mm. around everything that he'll be that he'll fail and won't fit in. And then he gets diagnosed as autistic with a comorbidity Same. of anxiety. And you think, well, hang yeah. on, the anxiety is because the ADHD and the autism was never picked up and therefore he's done Absolutely. all these he or she has done all these things. See how this to me, my thesis is this you, you can trace it all back, but it, you, where does it start? You, you know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I was diagnosed by a psychiatrist that specialises in the area, a professor, mm. and he he diagnosed me autistic and with GAD, generalised anxiety disorder, and yep. socialised anxiety disorder, right? So you're right. I got what you just said would happen as an adult. Mm-hmm. The idea is, well, maybe it's the stuff that I didn't know that led to that. So, and I'm this again, this isn't a question. It's just a, a thesis. I'm dropping on you. I apologize. Mm. I'll stop dropping thesis on you. But, <laughs> but do, you, do you see what I mean? I absolutely see what you mean. And it is a really big, that is absolutely it. And, and also that we see those people who've gone through life without having their diagnosis of autism and then coming to adults and how that's then impacting mental health. I think that's where it's really important. And that's where it comes into having these assessments and ones that really look into everything, that we look at that developmental profile. We look at what had happened and try and get a bit of an understanding, I guess, around the timeline of things so that we can really get to in depth into what might be starting it, what might be that first kind of cause. And yes, it's often there might be a couple of things initially, but kind of getting an understanding of that and what what has led to worsening of anxiety um, symptoms or, or things like that as well. And I said that that's the importance, I guess, of getting a thorough and getting a an, an assessment that actually really looks into that, the whole development that looks into that overall what was going on when someone was younger in addition to what we're seeing now as adults as well. And parents, carers listening, just use my story. Okay. Let's assume that I'm the manifestation of your child right now. Okay. So like like you've heard my story, undiagnosed, get get a diagnosis in adulthood, riddled with anxiety. Okay. So, you know, how can you enable and and help your child right now to navigate a, a better future than me? Well, that brings me to the next question because, and my seven year old son's a great example. Already we're getting reports from teachers and from the school that there's a lot of really great improvements in his engagement and his ability to to learn and digest and, and with all the different things that they're now trying and we're all trying. So it's working. So I guess this is the question. Let's talk about this to the parents and carers. How can actually receiving or seeking that assessment, that an additional diagnosis of ADHD, how does it benefit and assist not only the children on the autism spectrum, but mm. also their parents and carers? I think you know, it can really make a big difference. It's about getting those right supports in place. It's about being able to do things that work best for the individual child. And to really understand that, it's about understanding them as a a full picture. And that is about understanding if we are also looking at the way the brain works a bit more in that ADHD way, in addition to that, that autism going on there. And if we, the earlier that we can do it, the earlier that we can understand the child, the earlier that we can make any adaptions that need to be done in the classroom, the less likely there is to be a gap 
between them and their peers. If we can get these things in place, they can continue to learn. You know, we know that a lot of these children have a really fantastic ability to learn, but they're getting stopped because of these things that might be, that are more to do with the difficulties that come up with with ADHD. And if we can get on top of those difficulties earlier, we won't see that discrepancy in them learning and they can stay with their peers and we won't be seeing that big gap, the gap that kind of continues to widen and widen if we leave it for longer and longer. And I think not all parents and carers listening, it's just a factual, have the privilege of being able to enrol their child in a autistic specific education or school. It just isn't the case. Not everyone has the privilege of being able to see amazing people like yourself. But I think what, what's important is everyone has the ability to see a professional and get, just like you said, the kind of supports and structures that are right for your child. You know, you have to advocate. It's not like it's just easy, Mm -hmm. but there's actually light at the end of the tunnel and it's being positive on my own son's mental health and confidence. And you can see that these things are helpful. Even just the idea that he's able to just leave the class and go outside for some fresh air and come back. I mean, that that, Mm -hmm. that helps as well, right? And I just hope that parents and carers that, that listen, especially parents, don't get too caught up in adding labels, the idea of the weight of adding further labels. These aren't labels. These are these are ways of highlighting new opportunities to continue to improve the quality of your child's life. Absolutely. And it is a big concern a lot of parents have around those labels and, and coming in and feeling like we're doing more to kind of mark out their child as being different. And that's obviously not the aim. The real aim is, as I said, to understand the child as an individual. And the more we understand around them and how they fit in these different categories can help us with that. But I completely understand it. It, it would be very difficult as a parent. You get these different things from, from different areas. But sometimes, and unfortunately, these labels are needed to be able to access some of those supports, to be able to advocate properly for your children, these labels can be really important for that. To me, they're not labels, they're discoveries. Or look at it like this. Yes. I wasn't diagnosed as autistic. I was acknowledged as an autistic person. Mm. Look at it like that. Receiving an initial diagnosis of ADHD, okay, so we're talking prior to any kind of autistic diagnosis, do you think it actually impedes a child's ability or more specifically, a girl's ability to be diagnosed as autistic. I'm asking this question because I hear it a lot from autistic women that I talk to that were diagnosed with ADHD as young girls, so primary school age, and were either misdiagnosed or not diagnosed with anything else and then later in life were. Is that something you're familiar with, that idea? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I think it's a really, really good question. I think what kind of comes into here is that no it shouldn't it should not be impeding a person's ability to have to then get that diagnosis of autism but that's when it comes to really having these assessments and seeing someone who fully understands the neurodiverse population and getting assessments that really look into these because we spoke about earlier those where we can see those distinct differences between ADHD and autism and I think it comes about getting an assessment that can look into those distinct differences seeing people who understand that I think yes that is something that, that may happen, particularly when you're looking at people who are just going through processes when you're seeing a doctor for 15 minutes and diagnoses are meant to be based off that or more so you can see people who will come out and say, oh no, it's definitely not that based on the 15 minutes I saw them. And I just don't think you you can do it based on that period of time. So I think if you're going through an assessment and an assessment process that meets all the criteria and the guidelines for diagnosing autism, then no, an initial diagnosis of ADHD should not and does not impede that. However, I think if we look at it 
on a level of what's actually happening out there, then yes, it may be occurring in in certain situations. And and I can see how that can be difficult and and really hard for a lot of individuals that had to go through that. You're uh, fascinating, uh, just delightful uh, woman. So I appreciate all your work and all your time and Look, I hope you've enjoyed our chat. I really have. No, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I thank you so much for, for being able to listen to this. And I'm always happy to answer more questions as well. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you for joining us. No worries. My guest on this episode was Aspect's clinical neuropsychologist, Nicole Matheson. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to A Different Brilliant. I really do appreciate it. Now, if the episode has resonated with you, please share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, just like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. Hey, you're also welcome to send me a message if you want via my website, orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly. Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly, an aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.